it today. I do want to welcome everybody to uh, our reading of S.M. Houghton's Sketches from Church History. Today we're going to be doing Chapter 19, Martin Luther the Student. So we are well, in the 1500s, and we are going to be getting started with the, uh, the most important, really, uh, event in church history in the past 600 years or so, and that would be the Reformation. Most of us come from denominations that draw their roots back, that is, those of us who were reformed, of course, draw our roots back to the Reformation and to the Reformers. Uh, Martin Luther is in many senses a hero of mine, although theologically and in terms of temperament, not a perfect man by any uh, respect. He was a man with feet of clay, and yet a man of great courage, and without him it is very doubtful that the Reformation in Germany would have gotten started. A man who, uh, uh, so to speak, put his own life on the line for the sake of Scripture, and most importantly, the Gospel message. But before we get to Martin Luther, let us get to God, and let's ask for his blessing. God, our Father, we pray that you would be with us today as we discuss uh, your servant, Martin Luther, and we pray, Lord, that you would be the light of our minds, as always. Help us to understand your working in history and to apply it in our own time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Part 4, the 16th century Reformation in Germany. Martin Luther, the reformer, belonged to a peasant family in Saxony, Germany. My father, grandfather, all of my ancestors were thorough peasants, said Luther. His father bore the name of Hans, that is John. His mother was Greta, Margaret. They lived in Eisleben, where Hans Luther earned his livelihood by mining, especially for copper, which was abundant in the hills. Their son was born on 10th of November, 1483. And as the following day was the Feast of St. Martin, as observed by the Roman Catholic Church, he was named after the saint. Half a year uh, after his birth, the family moved to Mansfield, about six miles from Eisleben. At home and in school, little Martin was brought up in a simple but strict manner. Occasionally, harshness was seen in the home. On one occasion, his mother whipped him till the blood flowed for stealing a hazelnut. At school, his teacher ruled his class with an iron hand, and Martin, a bright and diligent boy, but also full of boyish pranks, felt he was sometimes unreasonably and over-severely uh, over punished. Once, he tells us, he was whipped fifteen times during a single morning for no fault of his own. Indeed, in later years, he spoke of the school as the Mansfield Purgatory. Apropos of exactly nothing, um... <laughs> I was, a, I was a pretty terrible uh, kid myself, and uh, um, I, I was after the time at which students were publicly beaten, although I was wrapped on the knuckles quite a few times in school, and uh, when I was younger, I got kicked out of a number of schools, so I can sympathize with Martin uh, in his younger years. Uh, unregenerate school children are indeed a terror to, children, uh, to, to uh, teachers, but moving on. At the age of 14, the boy was sent to a school at Magdeburg, and the following year to Eisenach, where his parents hoped that his mother's relations would provide him with board and lodging. Sometimes he would sing from door to door with his friends to obtain sustenance. I was once a poor mendicant, he said later, seeking my bread at people's houses, particularly at Eisenach, my own dear Eisenach. One good lady who took pity on him was Frau, that is, Mrs. Ursula Cotta. She welcomed him to her table and exerted a good influence upon his soul. He was introduced by her to a refined home circle and learned to move in a higher rank of society than that to which his parents belonged. At the age of 18, Luther entered the University of Erfurt, where he greatly distinguished himself in study. A light-hearted young student, uh, young fellow rather, full of buoyant life, he little realized that even at this time God was preparing him for a career of activity which was to astonish Europe. 
and which was to shake a proud and polluted church to its foundations. But God's chosen vessels are often hidden in obscurity until the time of their showing unto Israel. One day, while studying at Erfurt, Luther came across a copy of the Bible. He had never set eyes upon the book before, but as he read, he was deeply stirred. The story of Hannah and Samuel, and above all, Samuel's calling, impressed him deeply. At the age of 22, Luther had completed his course at the university, and then there came a turning point in his life. One of his best friends was killed in a student brawl, and he could not refrain from asking himself, what if I had been killed instead of my friend? On another occasion, as he was traveling home from Erfurt, a rapier he was carrying accidentally severed a main artery in one of his legs. He called upon the Virgin Mary for aid, while a friend ran for helpers who bound up the wound and saved his life. On yet another occasion, a terrible thunderstorm broke over his head. Stricken with fear, he fell prostrate to the ground, crying out, Help, Anna, beloved saint! I will become a monk. Uh, one of the things, incidentally, just a, a, um, a brief note, uh, the wound that he uh, had as a student troubled him his entire life, and it does point to something interesting, well, we would say interesting uh, in this day, which was that students uh, in the uh, Middle Ages and then later on in the Renaissance and Reformation times wore swords. Uh, they, were, they went armed to classes and so on. I suppose professors had to be particularly careful about what they said, but, uh, and student, uh, student brawls and battles and, uh, and uh, uprisings were not unknown at the time. So the idea of uh, that weapons in school or something that was uh, started in the late 20th century is, is uh, clearly not the case. Moving on. Luther kept his vow. After gathering with his student friends for frolic and song at a farewell party, the next day he presented himself at the door of an Augustinian monastery and asked for admission. He was received with open arms, for his university learning commended him to the head of the monastery, but his father was very angry, for he had hoped that Martin, as his eldest son, would obtain a high legal position, where, whereas as a monk he would achieve no fame or worldly wealth. Little did his dad know. Luther wanted peace with God. He yearned and craved for it. He realized that the world could not grant his heart's desire, and he hoped to find it in the cloister. He certainly did his utmost to obtain it. He obeyed the monastic rules scrupulously, performed the most menial services, and went about begging on behalf of the monastery. He was perhaps the most sincere, conscientious monk who ever tried in a genuine earnestness to merit salvation by human effort. He even became proud of his humility. A proud saint, he declared later, described his condition at the time. To gain salvation... He sacrificed everything. He observed every detail of discipline, praying, fasting, watching, confessing his sins. He literally tortured his body to obtain peace for his soul. But peace and rest he failed to find, for he learned that it was impossible for merit, uh, impossible to merit the favor of God by such means. He almost despaired of salvation, and his physical strength began to waste away. His fellow monks could not help him, for they were spiritually blind and could not see the crying needs of their younger brother. Nor could departed saints help him. He appealed to 21 of them and directed his prayers to three every morning so as to include them all in his week's devotions. Often, Luther tells us, he endured such agony of mind that had it lasted for a half an hour or even five minutes, he might have died under the strain. Once for a whole fortnight, he neither, uh, that's 14 days, he neither ate nor drank nor slept, and still peace did not come to him. But there was one who brought help and consolation to the troubled man. John von Staupitz, the head of the Augustinian order in Germany, from time to time visited the Erfurt Monastery. Between Luther and himself, a friendship sprang up. Oh, my sins, my sins, my sins, cried the young monk to Staupitz. 
Remember that Christ came into the world for the pardon of our sins, replied the latter. At another time, the very thought of Christ terrified Luther, for he thought of the Lord primarily as the one who punishes sin. Your thoughts are not according to Christ. Christ does not terrify. He consoles, said Staupitz to him. Look at the wounds of Christ, and you will see there shining clearly the purpose of God towards men. We cannot understand God out of Christ. Such sayings sank into Luther's mind. Gradually, the light of truth dawned upon him. Luther's struggle had to do with the phrase, the righteousness of God. He was convinced that in Romans 1.17 and elsewhere, these words refer to the awful holiness of God and his unchanging hatred of sin and sinners. How could he, Martin Luther, ever achieve the kind of holiness that could turn away the anger of God against him? He did not yet understand Paul's words in Romans that the gospel is the saving power of God to everyone who believes in Christ because it reveals the righteousness of God. This righteousness of God is nothing other than Christ's perfect obedience to his Father's will in life and death, even the death of the cross, obedience which God counts as nothing to all those in whose place Christ died, or rather, obedience which God counts as belonging to all those in whose place Christ died. Just as the punishment of the believer's sin was borne by Christ, so it is because of Christ's righteousness that the same believer, though ungodly in himself, is pronounced just or righteous in the sight of God. In this way, Paul says, faith receives the righteousness of God to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. That's Romans 4, 5. When the Holy Spirit revealed this to Luther, and he learned that it was by faith alone that he could be saved, and not by his own good works, the light of the truth shone with such brilliance and brought such deliverance into his spirit that he felt Paul's words, the just shall live by faith, were the very gate of paradise itself. And so this great truth, the just shall live by faith, became the fundamental truth of the Reformation. In other words, a wonderful Reformation came personally to Luther before God used him as the instrument of the Reformation. In Europe, two quick points here. One of the things that we need to understand is that in order to proclaim the gospel, we need to understand the power of it ourselves. That's why um, a legion of unregenerate, that is, unconverted pastors and teachers and theologians, will never be able to do the work of reformation and reclamation of souls. You need men who know the word and have it, felt it living and powerful within them. Uh, as Jeremiah said, your word was fire in my bones, a burning desire to come out. Luther discovered the, the great key of justification by faith alone. Uh, Calvin was later to say that justification uh, by faith alone was the, the hinge upon which the door of salvation swung open, and he was absolutely right in that. So the recovery of justification by faith alone was of critical importance to the, uh, the spread of the Reformation, or indeed the Reformation itself. Stalpitz persuaded Luther to enter the Roman priesthood and recommended him to Frederick the Wise, Elector of Saxony, as a man suitable for professorship of theology in the university that Frederick had founded at Wittenberg. In the post, Luther found great happiness. His mind was clear and his heart satisfied. He rejoiced in salvation not by works of the law performed by the sinner, not by ceremonies and penances and similar observances prescribed by the Roman Catholic Church, but by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. New light was shed upon the entire Bible which became to him a book of life and comfort and of wisdom from above. All the blessings and benefits of redemption through the precious blood of Christ came to him. He breathed the fresh air of God's redeeming love. Luther now wanted to spread to all men the saving truth that brought him out of darkness into light. 
He longed to preach justification by faith, fair and wide, or far and wide, rather, and gradually he became conscious of the great work that awaited him. Difficulties abounded, but he learned to say, as did the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The future, though dark, was the same uh, at the same time, bright with hope. Tomorrow we will uh, discuss Luther and the church, or how the Reformation began uh, with Luther and his... uh, uh, his taking on uh, the abuses, theological and moral, of the church, but mostly theological, and in particular the sale of indulgences. We'll talk about that. And uh, we will learn about Tetzel and his famous saying, when the coin in the coffer clinks, the soul to heaven springs. The idea being that uh, you could pay for your relatives to be released from purgatory, a place not mentioned in the Bible. Uh, And the Roman Catholic Church was using this, obviously, to raise money to build great works such as the Basilica at Rome and also to enrich themselves because all the men who were uh, raising money or who were having money raised in their territories were taking a cut of the proceeds that were being taken from that.